You are listening to a message from Parkway Church in Corona. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you. If you want to know more information about Parkway Church, or if you like what you hear, why don't you come join us here on a Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Corona. Or you can visit our website, parkway-church.com. So we're in this series in John. All scripture is God-breathed. We believe that God moved upon people and through their experience, through the direct speaking of the Holy Spirit, uh, through their testimony, the Holy Spirit breathed God's word for us. And I believe that the Holy Spirit couldn't have had a better candidate than John to write about Jesus. John was there. He was one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, he wasn't only just one of the 70-odd. He wasn't just one of the 12. He was one of the inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. And John seemed to have a very special place in Jesus' heart. In fact, John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And so, humanly speaking, Jesus had a soft spot and a real uh, love and a friendship and a bond with John. Near the end of his book, John gives his reason for writing it. He says in John 20, verse 30 to 31, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have faith in his name, that you may believe. So this book of John is for those people who are yet undecided what they think about Jesus. The book of John is for people who say, yeah, you know, I've met some Christians and they're all right, but I'm just not really sure if that's the path for me. The book of John is for you if you're still undecided about faith, about who God is and and faith in Jesus. But the book of John is also for those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus, are convinced that he is the Christ, are convinced that he's Uh, who he said he was, because we must continue to believe in order to receive all of the blessings he has for our lives. Amen? In John 15, 4, Jesus commanded us to remain in him. And as we read this book, there's no greater theme, no greater focus, no nobler name than the name of Jesus. And we have the privilege of journeying together through the Holy Spirit-inspired memories and experiences that John had with the Lord. We have this incredible opportunity to journey together and discover and open our hearts and our understanding to a greater revelation of of Christ. So before we begin, again, I want to encourage you to read 1 John chapter 1 in its entirety this week. Whether it's, whether, if you're a good reader and you can rip through John, you know, uh, chapter 1 in one sitting and you want to read it three, four times, if that's the case, then you know, kind of go on your Bible app or go online and download it in different versions. Well, what does different versions mean? Well, when, they, when, when we take the Greek language that this book was written in and we, we kind of interpret it into English, sometimes there's, you know, two, three different ways. Sometimes there's an older way or a more modern way of saying things. And so they, they, they all are saying the same thing. They're just saying it kind of differently with different inflections and different style of language. And so sometimes reading uh, the same chapter in different versions just brings a richness and it stops our mind from getting lazy uh, because it forces us to, to think about what we're reading. So I encourage you to do that. 
And secondly, as I said, take a pen and a highlighter and take notes when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Write down questions that you have and leave spaces for answers that will come later. Or you can talk to someone, one of the pastors or staff, but let's dig in together and let's love Jesus more. Who's, who's up for that, right? Let's love Jesus more. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's look at it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of mankind. The light shone in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Verses 10 to 14. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, but children uh, or by human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and full of truth. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Man, I love that passage of scripture. Jesus is perfect theology. That's what we've called this this morning. Jesus is perfect. Well, you didn't call it. I did, but I'm telling you, Jesus is perfect theology. <laughs> theology. Don't let that word scare you. Theology, uh, the basic meaning of theology and the first meaning of theology is this. It's the study of God. It's what we know and what we believe to be true about God. It's the study of the nature of God. And so Jesus is perfect Theology, Jesus is the perfect study of the nature of God. And so John chapter 1, verse 1 starts at in the beginning. Now we're going to do some teaching this morning. And so uh, uh, we're going to be laying a foundation for the rest of what's to come. Uh, the, in the beginning, that takes us to the beginning of time. The beginning of what? The beginning of time. And at the start of time, the word was, John tells us, the word was preexistent. John doesn't record the birth of Jesus like Matthew and Luke do. John doesn't kind of go to the events just before and around and just after the birth of Jesus. John goes even farther back than the birth of Jesus uh, in, in Bethlehem. John goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and says, in the beginning there was this being called the word. He even uses language from Genesis when he says in the beginning. And he says the word. And in the Greek, that's logos. And in the Bible, logos was the act of God speaking. It was used of God declaring, God revealing, God proclaiming in power, God uh, uh, creating, God revealing. So in Genesis, how did God create? He speaks. In the beginning, God said, let there be, and there was. And, and over and over again, you read, God said. And John goes all the way back to the beginning and says, this word that spoke is actually Jesus, and he is the creative power of God. John describes the word as being with God, which implies relationship and distinct personality. But he goes on to say, not only was he with God, he was God. 
So you have this distinction in personality. This word was with God. And that word with literally means to lean in towards relationship. So you have this word that is dwelling with God before the beginning of time. So that speaks of relationship. It speaks of togetherness. It speaks of intimacy. It speaks, uh, and yet he says he also was God. So there's a distinct personality, but oneness of essence. So the word is eternal, uncreated, uncaused, and infinite because he is God. Now, if you're confused, you can join the rest of us because that's the ministry of the Trinity. That's the Godhead. People, over the years, I've had people occasionally say to me, can you explain the Trinity? And I'm like, no. How do you explain something like that? How do you explain God? Can I tell you something? If we could explain everything about God away and there was no mystery, he probably wouldn't be God anymore. It's okay to have to have faith to believe in a being so incredible and so majestic and so beyond us that we have to just trust in faith that we've been given everything we need to put our faith in him even though we don't understand it all. Amen? So you have this, you have this eternal, uncreated, uncaused being called the word that's with God, but he's also... God himself. And in Genesis, we even see a glimpse of the Godhead. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, and it's in capital letters because it denotes a name, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So at the beginning, right there, you're seeing a picture of the Godhead. In the beginning, God created and the Spirit of God. So you've got God the Father and God the Spirit. And then John adds in John chapter 1, because he takes us all the way back to the beginning, he says you had God the Father, and you had God the Spirit hovering over the face of the deep, but there was God the Word, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we will see that elsewhere as we continue in John chapter 1 over the next week. Uh, You're going to see how uh, when Jesus was baptized... Uh, you see the Trinity at work. Jesus was baptized in water. And John the Baptist says, I wouldn't know who the one was that God sent me to prepare the way for, except that when he came up out of the water, I saw the Spirit descending on him and remaining on him, and I heard a voice, the Father. So you've got the Father speaking, the Spirit descending, and you've got Jesus being baptized. And that's a picture of the Trinity. Are you all tracking with me this morning? All right, then hit the person next to you and say, stay awake, track, this is actually good. All right. Now hit the person on the other side and say, why did you elbow me? I am listening. All right. So the word, the word is an eternal relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit and is himself very God, equal with God but distinct in personality. Therefore, can I just say this? Therefore, to call the word Jesus anything less than God isn't biblically true, and in fact, it's heresy. We all know of people. One was knocking on my door the other day trying to give me their tract. They believe in Jesus. They believe Jesus was the Savior, but they don't believe Jesus was eternal and coexistent with God. That's false. Because John tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but the Word was also God. And John 3 reveals something even more. John 3 tells us, that he is our creator, because he says, through him, all things were made. Makes sense, right? Doesn't that make sense? Because in Genesis 1, God accomplishes the act by creating, by speaking. So the word created all things. So again, 
one of the ways this was explained to me very early on in, in my walk with the Lord, it's real simple. It's maybe oversimplifying, but, but it's this. God the Father willed creation. God the Father determined that he wanted to create. God the Word, the Son, the second person in the Trinity, spoke with mighty power and out of nothing created everything that was. And the Holy Spirit, who was hovering over the face of the deep, took what was being created and brought order to it. Now, think about salvation. I'm getting way ahead, but think about salvation for a minute. All three members of the Trinity are involved in salvation and in us sustaining our salvation and in our lives because Jesus made this statement. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father, sorry, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. You didn't just one day stumble and go, I think, you know, I'm living like a pagan, I'm living like a heathen, i just doing what I want, but today I just think I'm gonna follow Jesus. You didn't do that. Jesus says, you wouldn't be here today if the Father didn't will it, if the Father didn't desire it, and start the process of drawing you to Jesus. And then Jesus makes our salvation and this abundant life that we're called to live in possible by paying the price on the cross, descending into hell, and taking the authority back, and ascending to the Father. So the Father wills our salvation individually and cosmically by sending Jesus. Jesus makes salvation possible through what he accomplishes on the cross. And then what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit applies it by living in us, changing us, rebirthing us, taking what is Jesus, what he accomplished, what we celebrated this morning on the cross and applying it to our lives. New birth, change. Now I am gonna say it. I am preaching better than you're responding, but I'm gonna keep going anyways because that's on you, not me. <coughs> All right. And so God is involved in creation just as he is in our salvation. And in Genesis 1.26, again, uh, God makes this statement, let us make people in our image. That's not a mistake. Let us, again, speaking of the Trinity, so the Godhead is involved. So by bringing us back to Genesis, John is showing us the progression of the self-revealing word of God that starts with creation. The book of Romans tells us that all of creation testifies that there's a creator. And then as he interacts with people throughout history, he gives the laws and the commands and the prophets. There's a greater revelation of God. And then ultimately and finally in Jesus, we see the perfect and complete revelation of who God is. So the word speaks creation into being, reveals the glory and the majesty and the splendor and power of God. John said, we have seen his glory. Amen. And then the word becoming a part of his own creation reveals the love, the ingenuity, and the lengths that God has gone to redeem, save, and restore lost creation. He was full of grace. Yeah, amazing. This word is amazing. So the word creates people in his image. And by creating us in his image, it means he gave us the same attributes that God has, the ability to love, the ability for relationship, the ability to take responsibility and subdue the earth and, and do what we were called to do. It's, it's, the, it's the ability to have choice, to make moral choice, to have a conscience, to think, to react, to act. God made us in his image to have emotions, to have dominion and spread God's image over the earth because we were made in his image. And so as Adam and Eve and their posterity multiplied over the earth and subdued it, then God's glory would cover the earth. 
But our willful choice to sin has marred both the creation we were to care for and protect and the people that were created. Therefore, the image and purposes of God that were found in us have become distorted, marred, and broken and have left us with an incomplete view of God. It's left people broken. It's left people sinful, unwhole, with a bent towards evil and destruction. In verses 3 to 5 of John chapter 1, we already read it. It said that the light has come, but the darkness has not understood it. And that's what sin does. Sin darkens people's minds to who God is, to who we were created to be and our need for God and the goodness of God. So our sins blinded us to God and deceived us in regards to ourselves. Yet in Jesus, the word became flesh and the revelation and expression of God is seen Jesus, the word, sheds light. Jesus, God's communication. Jesus, God's speaking, brightly illuminates and makes perfectly clear who the Lord is. And in Jesus, you see a perfect revelation and expression of God because he is God's communication. He is God's word. But listen to this. Also in Jesus, you see perfectly who, who humanity was intended to be. Jesus doesn't just show us God. Jesus shows me who I'm supposed to be. Jesus shows me who the Holy Spirit is trying to make me to be. The Holy Spirit's not trying to bless my life, make all my dreams come true, and, and fulfill every desire that I ever wanted. The Holy Spirit is trying to shape me and make me back into who God intended for me to be before sin marred my life, before sin marred humanity, and that is Jesus. And yeah, some of you are smart enough to go, well, just a sec, we're all different. We all have different personalities. Exactly. That's how amazing God is. God reflected in each one of us is still just a tiny picture of who God is really like. So as the Holy Spirit starts to renew you, uh, Joan, and make you into who Jesus is calling you to be, you uniquely show who Jesus intended for humanity to be. I show who Jesus intended for humanity to be. And everybody in this room does, and all of us collectively together, is just a little glimpse of who God intended for us to be as his image bearers. That's how amazing God is. All of humanity is just a tiny reflection of what he's really like. Come on, that's really deep. Some of your brains, I can, but it's true. It's true. So when all of us allow the Holy Spirit to make us into Jesus, all of us are reflecting more and more who God wanted us to be, who God intended for us to be, and who we would be as we reflect his glory. Jesus is referred to in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 as the last Adam. Because in Jesus, we see humanity. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is God in 3D or God in HD. Here's Jesus' own words. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. By the way, there's people out there who make dumb statements like, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. They've obviously never read John. When you make a statement, I am the Father or one, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, how many of you know Jesus is making a clear statement? You know, if someone ever says to you, Jesus didn't make a clear statement, just turn around to them and say, well, I just want you to know that if you've seen me, you've seen God. And watch their reaction. Because they're going to go, well, who do you think you are? But that's what Jesus said, right? By the way, don't do that, because that would actually be blasphemy. But you get, you, get, you get the point, right? So 
Jesus, Jesus also made this statement in John 12, 49 and 50. And he said, I do not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Why? Because Jesus and the Father are one, but Jesus is also the communication, the word of God. So he does what the Father tells him to do. So here's a question this morning. Do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know him more? Do you want to know his heart, the things that please or displease him? Do you want to know what God thinks of you? What's important to him? What are his priorities? What does he require? If you want to know all of those things this morning, then you look, you listen, and you see Jesus. And you see God acting, God responding, God loving, God speaking. You see God. As God, through Jesus, interacts with all of the circumstances and experiences that John records, you see God responding and reacting to us in the same circumstances. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This eternal being became flesh and blood when the Holy Spirit touched Mary's egg with divine life. And as that tiny embryo housed the greatest miracle the world would ever know because the eternal, coexistent, uh, uncaused, uncreated, second person of the Trinity, the word, entered into the womb of a teenage girl in Nazareth and entered into time and space and became flesh and blood. The uncreated became flesh so that as one of his created by the grace of God, he could taste death on behalf of every other created being. It's ingenious. It's ingenious when you think about it. God looks down on humanity and, and God says, how do we... How do we pay for this rebellion? How do we pay for them willfully walking away? I mean, God said to Adam and Eve, I'm gonna bind myself to the decisions that you make. You're gonna be caretakers of this world. And as the caretakers of humanity, as the caretakers of this planet, Adam and Eve handed that over to Satan when they chose disobedience. And so now God, now Satan looks up at God and says, your hands are tied. You gave them authority. In your providence, you told them that they could do what they want. And now look what they did. They've cursed all of humanity for all time. They've cursed this world for all time. There's nothing you can do. And God sat back. Well, I don't know exactly how it played out, but this is how I see it. God sat back. And God said, only humanity can take back what humanity gave up. God the Father says to the word, will you go? Will you become flesh? And God the Father says to the word, the only person that can pay for the sins of the rest of humanity has to be another human being. Because humanity lost salvation, as it were, and only humanity can gain it back, so the word became flesh. I mean, it's ingenious, friends. How does God, how do we know that when we come to God, we have this great high priest who understands what we're going through. I mean, think about it. The word, co-existent, co-eternal, with God at all times, the giver of life, the Bible says. What does he do? He becomes flesh so he can taste death on behalf of all of us. Friends, it's ingenious. It's amazing, the plan of salvation. And so that all who believe on him, he gave the right to become the children of God. The son of God became a son of humanity so that we could become sons and daughters of the Most High. The word became flesh. I'm sorry, but it amazes me. The lesser, flesh and blood, housed the greater, the eternal word. 
The natural housed the supernatural and immortal. The created contained the creator. All powerful dwelt in the frailty of humanity. The everlasting life giver tasted death on behalf of all of us. So the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Wow. And if you're here today and you uh, say, I'm not sure if I have the right uh, to call myself a son or daughter of God, can I just say this? We're all children of God in that we're all created, but we're not all children of God in relationship to him. Because John said that Jesus is the one who gives us the right to be called children of God. Jesus made this statement, and we're going to see it in a few weeks in John chapter 3, that no one can see the Father, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. It's not enough to be born of a mother and father, to be born as a human. We've got to be born again by the Spirit of God, and that comes through what Jesus, God in flesh, accomplished on our behalf. And so if you're here today and you say, I don't know if I can call God my father, there is no reason why you need to leave here this morning and not make that relationship right. And I'm gonna pray for you at the end of the service that you would do just that, and we have something that we would love to give you to help you understand that. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's get practical, and then we'll close. Number one, Jesus is perfect theology. So, if Jesus is perfect theology, that means that we cannot make any theological statement, we can't build any kind of theology around anything except Jesus. We interpret all other scriptures in light of Jesus. When we're in the Old Testament and we read something, we've got to move forward because Jesus said, I haven't come to abolish this, but I've come to fulfill it. So when we read something in the Old Testament, we don't read it outside of Jesus fulfilling that. When you read in the New Testament, all of the letters that Paul and James and Peter and Romans and Hebrews, when you read those, and you, you need to read those back to Jesus because Jesus is perfect theology. And you can never take a scripture, even something as holy and as inspired as the word of God and interpret it outside of Jesus. Because Jesus is the word in the word. So we can't build a theology around our experiences. Our experiences come. They come in the form of disappointments, circumstances, good or bad. Those experiences try and tell us what God is like, and if we listen to them, they will shape us. And even though they're always shifting and changing themselves, your experience might be different from my experience. So at the end of the day, whose experience really is reflective of God? Well, none of them. Because we're never called to build our, experience, our theology around our experiences. We're meant to build them around Jesus. And this is why I've been so passionate about healing. Some of you are going, there he goes. He's talking about healing again. But I still had someone say to me recently who goes to this church, yeah, I know, but I know lots of good Christians who are, no! Jesus is perfect theology, not the experience of anybody, but Jesus is perfect theology. There are people that are so good and so nice, they bake for people and knit for their grandchildren, but they don't have faith in Jesus. And I so bad want to change my theology and say, yeah, but I know they're with you, Lord, because they were so good. Jesus said in John chapter 3, those who reject the Son already stand condemned. Somebody put something on Facebook a while ago and they said, 
You know, the Jesus that I serve would never say that people without him go to hell. He's not that narrow-minded, and I so bad wanted to go read John chapter 3. Jesus said, those who read, those without the Son stand already condemned. And you say, you're being harsh this morning. I think it's time that the church, I think it's time that the church start to say, you know what? The people in our lives without Jesus are going to go to a lost eternity without Jesus. Maybe we need to turn off Netflix and start praying a little more. Maybe we need to start being more generous and more outward focused and start really believing what Jesus said. Because why? Because Jesus is perfect theology. He's perfect theology. He didn't change his mind. He didn't die on the cross for the first 2,000 years of, of humanity that followed the cross and then all of a sudden in the last 10 years change his mind and go, you know what? cross doesn't matter. Because that's what the church has done in the last 15 years. We've thrown out salvation. We've thrown out all these things and just said, you know what? We're in this new age of enlightenment. We're in the emerging church where we just believe that you can believe. Folks, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't go, oh, 2,000 years are up. The cross's shelf life is done. Jesus is perfect theology. Okay. I was going to say, I'll get off my soapbox, but that's probably not going to happen. All right. So no opinion, no experience, no religious writing or teaching can form our theology if it's contrary to what we see, hear, and experience when we see, hear, and experience Jesus. Amen? You still with me? All right. God reveals himself and his will through Jesus. God gave us Jesus so we wouldn't have to guess at what he is like, what he requires, and how can my life be pleasing to him? What does God think of me? As we journey through John, we're going to discover that Jesus speaks to life after death. Well, we've already kind of talked about that. He speaks to heaven and hell and how we choose either one. He speaks to sin. He speaks to love. He speaks to our priorities. He speaks to our money, to our relationships, our marriage, our suffering and sickness. And I know some of you went, yep, I, I had you all along when you talked about healing in heaven and hell, but you just said money. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right. He speaks to all of those things. If our thoughts, if our ideas... If our philosophy, if our lives are out of alignment with anything that Jesus teaches, then friends, it's just in our best interest to bring our lives under his, his authority. And I also want to say this. That's why I'm asking you to read John chapter 1 when you go home. In John chapter 2, when we're in John chapter 2 and John chapter 3, here's why. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to let the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to you because you know what? I'm doing my best in this series. I mean, we could be in the book of John for the next five years and still not scratch the surface, right? There's so much. But what I'm really hoping happens is that when you read, the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you because he knows exactly what you need. I believe he speaks through me because he knows what we need generally and what, where he's leading us as a church Listen, he's a personal God. He knows exactly what you need, and Jesus wants to reveal himself in a wonderful, unique way to you. Thirdly, as our creator and our redeemer, we owe Jesus our lives. As our creator, he can make demands of us. He's responsible for our being, and he knows what we were created for. As our redeemer, he bought us back, gave us everlasting life, freed us from the bondage of sin and death, and we owe him our love and our allegiance. And he's so good, Amen. The God in flesh is our example. He models for who he's making us to be as we yield to the work of the Spirit. And lastly, he is the Word. Jesus is the Word within the Word. So the Holy Spirit inspired John to write the Word, and in it we see Jesus. And we can pray. We can ask the Holy Spirit. 
to deepen our faith and our confidence in the Lord and to bring Jesus in a sharper focus so that we can ultimately live in the purposes and abundant life he has for us. So here's what I want to end with. Let's go deeper. If you disagree with anything I've said today, listen, I'm okay with that. Absolutely. You can show me from the word where you disagree with me. We can at least say, well, we agree to disagree on that. But let's journey together into the word, within the word, Jesus. Amen? And let's go on a journey. I think one of the things that I have tried in the last number of years, I think I have my, my whole life and my whole ministry, but one of the things I've really tried to model in this age, especially in this church age, where it seems that on the one hand you got people that want to remain biblical and stay true to God's word, but there's such a harshness to it, you know. And then on the other hand, there's, there's people that, that, you know, want to just love people and, and yet they've thrown God's word out. Here's, here's what I've really tried to model the ministry that God's called me to and our church after. Jesus, full of what? Grace and truth. Here's the reality. If we really love people, we will tell them the truth. But the truth without grace lacking love is just dogma. Jesus didn't live in this tension of truth and grace. Jesus was fully truth and fully grace. And Jesus, Jesus said some of the hardest things to people, but we know he was motivated by love. But his love never his love never caused him not to speak the truth. But Jesus' truth never stopped him loving. Right? I love the story. It, it, it's like what I was thinking about this morning because it's something I read. I read something and there's this church that says, we don't think sin is a big deal. That's what they said. But then you read on and it says, I know that many of you from traditional church are kind of you know swallowing your hearts right now and Sucking in, but they said, here's the thing. Sin is real. It does destroy. It does separate. But compared to the vastness and amazing mercy of God that's always available, it's really not a big deal. And every provision to overcome the effects of sin are in our lives. And I thought, that's it. Grace and truth. Doesn't that make sense? He sees the Samaritan woman, in, uh, not the Samaritan woman, he sees the woman in John 8. I mean, she's been caught in the act of adultery. We're not talking a rumor or somebody, you know, took a... Instagram of it, and it was posted, and Jesus found out the next day. You're talking, in the, they caught her in the act of adultery. They throw the towel around her, the, the, the sheet around her, throw it at Jesus' feet, and this poor, half-dressed woman who's still flushed from the excitement of having an affair, and they say, the Old Testament says you need to stone her. Don't you love Jesus' response? Hey, he writes in the sand, says, you who's out sin, throw the first stone. Then he looks at her and says, now go and sin no more. Because grace is always the motivation for us to live like Jesus and receive what Jesus has, even when it's hard to receive what Jesus has, and even when it's hard for us to do what Jesus calls us to do. Grace is what always empowers us to do it. And we're going to discover that as we go through the book of John, how amazing and full of love and truth and grace Jesus is. So are you going to journey with me? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're amazing. I don't know what else to say except to say you're amazing, Jesus. I know sometimes my actions and 
My own words and priorities don't reflect this, but I want you to know, I want to go on public record today saying, I love you, Jesus. I'm so grateful to you. And I really do love you. And I know that everyone in this room on some level loves you as well. And we want to grow in our love for you. We also want to be able to receive your love in new and fresh ways. We want to have a revelation of you that both brings faith and confidence to what we already believe, but also leaves us in complete awe of who you are, where we say, I just, I can't get my head around how amazing Jesus really is. So as we walk in that tension over the next number of months, I just pray that, Lord, those that come into this building week after week that don't know you, would just see the beauty of who you are and just see the wonderful grace that's available for their lives if they give their lives over to you, if they confess their sins and present themselves to you, how you make all things new. You take the sin and the brokenness and unwholeness of our past and, and we exchange that for your goodness and your hope and your perfection. And, and oh man, there's just so much good that comes out of our walk with you, Jesus. And so if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that hasn't made that decision, I just pray that in their hearts, they would cry out to you and say, Jesus, save me, forgive me. Jesus, make me into a brand new person because I want to walk as you have called me to walk. And I, I want to know what it is every day to wake up and just say, God is so good to me. So may they make that decision today, Lord. And for the rest of us, as we read through John chapter 1, speak to us, Holy Spirit. We open our hearts and our minds and, Lord, our lives to your ministry to showing us and revealing to us the Lord Jesus. And finally, Lord, I just pray, if I've said anything today that make it hard for people to receive uh, this message, I just pray that they would be able to put that aside and just pursue you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Can you be seated for one minute? Thank you so much for listening to our message. If you like what you hear, we would love for you to come join us here on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. If you would like more information on Parkway Church, you can visit our website at parkway-church.ca.